Principal Matters Podcast, episode 314. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about a new kind of diversity with my special guest, Dr. Tim Elmore. Dr. Tim Elmore is not a stranger to Principal Matters listeners. He's been a guest on this program several times before, but Tim Elmore is the best-selling author with decades of research and leadership experience. He is the founder of Growing Leaders and the author of his newest book, A New Kind of Diversity, which he has done in partnership with, well, I know John Maxwell wrote your introduction, Tim, but you did this in partnership with lots of other people. So let me just pause there and let you finish this introduction. Welcome back to Principal Matters listeners. And why don't you tell people what's going on with, with Tim Elmore? And I don't know if you want to share a little bit of the exciting things I've been seeing happening in your partnerships with um, the Maxwell Group. Absolutely. Well, it's always good to be with you. Um, yeah, we uh, Growing Leaders uh, is an organization I started about 20 years ago particularly partnering with schools uh, to help them connect with and engage the emerging generation of students. Today, that would be the alpha generation and generation Z and K-12 education. But um, we, I, you know this, Will, I worked for 20 years of my career with John Maxwell, this leadership guru, and really cut my teeth right out of college. You know, you and I have the same alma mater and, and right out of college worked for John so um, he approached me and our group and said, what do you think about merging back together? And so I was honored. Um, John admitted he's never been known as a next gen expert. You know, he's always been a leadership expert for established leaders. So we're going to uh, we're going to merge together and try to reach all kinds of generations together. And this new book is really about that. The new kind of diversity is not about necessarily ethnic diversity or gender diversity or income diversity. It's about generational diversity. There is an age diversity thing, certainly in schools. And, you know, in fact, there are seven generations alive right now, Will. I don't know if you've thought about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, From the alpha generation, those children that are young to the senior generation, my aunt and uncle who are 99 and 97 years old. And uh, with different generations, you're just going to have different viewpoints and maybe some collisions instead of collaborations sometimes. So the book is all about how do we really pull out the best in each generation? That's well, that's my goal in the book. Well, I'm looking really uh, looking forward to diving into some of that content, Tim. And I just want to encourage listeners to check out this book, A New Kind of Diversity, making the different generations on your team a competitive advantage by Tim Elmore, because it is available now. And Tim, I noticed that you're going to be doing a presentation, I think in Atlanta coming up in October. And uh, I'm just so jealous. I was looking at the lineup of speakers and I was like, man, I don't, uh, unfortunately I'm not going to be there, but I sure I'll be there in spirit because I know you're going to do an amazing job presenting too. But you know, one of the questions that you explore first in your book is who are today's clashing generations? Because as you said, there are so many kinds of generations alive right now. And we're talking primarily within the context of, of the West, the continental US. I know that outside the US, some of these same generational patterns exist, but with the people that you and I serve most regularly in our work. um, So talk about who are those clashing generations? Yeah. Well, um, most of your listeners know, I'm sure, that our brains form 
in the first 20 to 25 years, our neural pathways are established. So we're like wet cement in the very beginning. And we are shaped in our early years by shared technology, shared media, shared tragedies, shared economies. And then we move forward with a narrative, you know, in our minds. So the oldest generation probably on a school campus right now would be the builder generation. They're past retirement, but just want to still do lawn care or maintenance or drive buses, or maybe they're the principal. I don't know, but they're an older generation with sage wisdom and they just haven't left the school campus yet. I don't know why I'm laughing. I love it that they don't want to leave their job. And then there's the baby boomers. That would be my generation. Um, boomers were called baby boomers because there was a boom of babies right up to World War II, all the way up to the contraceptive, the birth control pill in 65. So that was the baby boomers. Then there's the Gen Xers. Um, Will, would you be a Gen Xer? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Gen X would be in the mid, mid part of their career, really in their most fruitful years. Uh, they would be 65 to 80, 81, 82 then the millennial generation, we've been talking about them forever. They're the people born in the 80s and 90s, Masomenos. And then we have Gen Z, the kids that have really grown up in the 21st century. And now the newest generation of children that we're starting to look at are the alpha generation kids who are really elementary school and below in terms of age. And they are growing up where, oh my gosh, a very tumultuous world. Um, if, you, if you think about it, Will, and I know you do, if a child is six years old today, one third of their life has been a pandemic. And so their interpersonal skills are a little bit delayed, their academic skills may be a little bit delayed because that two-year funky period just kind of threw us off. Mm -hmm. So all I'm saying is leaders, as you're listening, you have different mindsets that you're trying to serve. You have a young teacher that's 22 or 23, and they think different than that 42-year-old teacher. And uh, this book, I'm hoping, becomes a reference guide, kind of like an encyclopedia. Oh, that's why they would say that. That's why they would think that. And uh, then we can just better pull out the, you know, like I said, pull out the very best in each one. Well, Tim, what I appreciate about your work, and I was thinking about this earlier before we uh, started recording, was there are very few people I know. In fact, I'm just going to say this directly, you, of all the people I know, you have spent the most time thinking about generational influences, the contributions that each generation makes. And, and that's what I appreciate about you too, is you always have been able to look for the positives that each of those generational trends have, have added to the conversation instead of taking an oppositional perspective yeah. on generations, you always look at it in terms of the contributions that they're making, but you also show the flip side of some of the, the areas where there's challenges with each generation too, because each generation tends to have, and I know that we're using stereotypes and generalizations yeah. on purpose because it does help us at least to think categorically about where you move later in your book. And so I'm going to just kind of go this direction for principal matters, listeners, assuming that they're, well, before I assume that they're aware of the generational pros and cons, I, I do want to point this out. I would, would you agree that the vast majority of the folks that we're now employing are millennials? Or is that, is that, would they, would you yeah. say that's the vast majority of the people that were, that, that are serving within our, if, if, if I'm leading a school, an organization, a district, um, then the vast majority of the people I'm hiring are going to be in, within that area. Although we have some now that are coming in from Gen Z because they're graduating from college. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, in, in all industries, a little over half of the workforce right now are millennial generation people. Um, in fact, this might be interesting to listeners. 
um, millennials are now the largest generation in American history. So the baby boomers were at one time, there was a boom of 76.4 million people born between 46 and 64, but now the millennials are the largest. So they would be, when I talk to an older leader that goes, I can't take those millennials, I'm waiting for the next generation after them. I go, you can't ignore them. They're now the major part of your workforce. And um, I just feel like, Will, far too often, we do take shortcuts uh, in our thinking with other generations and shortcuts, uh, or excuse me, stereotypes or shortcuts that don't do us well. Haven't you heard um, or seen some of the hashtags on social media? You know, years ago, we saw hashtag how to confuse a millennial, you know, and it was the older generation making fun of the millennials that didn't know how to, you know, right. open up a phone book or something like that, you know. But then you had the millennials fight back. Hashtag okay boomer, you know, and they were making fun of the boomers. And, and then you had the Gen Xers getting made fun of by the Gen Zers, hashtag, okay, Karen, you're such a Karen, you know, that was that person that was always asking for the manager at the restaurant and intruding on the principal at the high school or whatever. But, but what I'm saying is it's so easy to think just a little bit and stereotype, you know, all Gen Zers are fragile snowflakes, all millennials are narcissistic, all baby boomers are stubborn. And that's just not helpful. If mm -hmm. I look deeper, I see, oh my gosh, Boomers have stories and great coaching to add. Xers have contrarian points of view and, and, and pragmatism to add. Millennials have confidence and hope and energy. Gen Zers have this hacker mindset and this entrepreneurial spirit that we need. So I love when I see a school campus with a leader that says, I'm going to pull out the best and believe the best. I'm going to begin with belief. And my goal is not to stereotype, but to understand. When we approach it that way, oh my gosh, we, we now have something to work with. And we, we really do make the most of, of every, every person on that campus. Well, let's stay there for a little bit and talk about some of the ideas that you have on bridging those gaps. Because, yeah. because one of the, um, and I'm going to pull this directly from your content, but you talk about how life is about managing preferences, tensions, and expectations. Yeah. And I that just immediately sparks all kinds of ideas in my mind. But Tim, walk us through <laughs> walk us through what you're thinking about there and, and the importance of of that wisdom when you're trying to bridge these gaps. Okay, sure. That chapter was very fun to write because I learned as I wrote. You ever do that when you're writing? You go, oh my gosh, I just learned something I need to do. So people bring with them when they come onto a campus or a workplace ex different expectations. And I believe conflict expands based on the distance between expectations and reality, right? If I have this expectation and you give me that, oh my gosh, there's gonna be trouble. You know, there's gonna be conflict of water cooler or the teacher's lounge or whatever. So I think we need to say, all right, let's figure out what's a preference. I wish it was this way, but I'm okay if it's not. What's an expectation that I better have right-sized maybe? And what's a demand that, my gosh, I should not hire you if that's a demand because we're just not that. You follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I think we need to have the backbone to say, ah, that's not a good fit here on this scale campus. That's not going to fit our culture. I have found that younger generations of teachers and really any industry bring with them a, an age, a sense of agency, which can be good, but they can have some assumptions that a school prince might go, what are you thinking right now? You know, and and it's just a different different generation. Um, however, Will, let me point this out. I think we, meaning us older experienced veterans, 
mm-hmm. can have assumptions and completely miss what they bring. One story I tell in the book that I think is such a vivid illustration of this. Um, Tony Palacino is a, or was a college student two years ago at Ohio University. He worked a part-time job in college at a paint store, a major retail brand. And um, he was mixing paints and he started videotaping himself, mixing paint colors and creating really special colors, set up an account on TikTok and Will, his account went viral. He had 1.4 million followers on TikTok. Well, he had thought, oh my gosh, we could monetize this. You know, we could use this for marketing. There's 1.4 million new people that this paint brand could, you know, market to. So get this. He put a slide deck together, asked to meet with the executives, the management, you know, bless his heart. Tony didn't get one person interested in hearing what he had to say. Didn't get one set of eyeballs to look at his slide deck. He did get something he didn't expect. He got fired. He got fired because those older leaders were sure he was doing this on company time, you know, stealing the paint probably, or intruding or distracting the customers. So Tony gets fired. Tony moves to Florida, sets up his own paint store, has 2 million followers. And while there may be a lot of parts to the story we don't understand, that wouldn't you agree that paint those paint store folks could have capitalized on a young person's insight and intuition that they didn't see, but instead they stuck to their guns and lost out on a great opportunity. I think this happens on school campuses and really in every other industry that, that we look at today. We just are, we have walls instead of bridges. That's what I like to say. We have walls instead of bridges. We need to tear down those walls. Well, and I want to speak directly to Principal Matters listeners because so many of the leaders I've been talking to, Tim, and you know this, are struggling with finding high quality teachers, yes. struggling yeah. with filling positions, struggling with teacher shortages. And so yeah. it's a it's a pretty fluid market. And teachers yeah. are especially prone to work in places where they feel supported, understood, yes. uh, yeah. where there's some flexibility. And so yeah. it's 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 in the best interest of a leader to learn how to encourage the innovation and the creativity and the ideas and flexibility of some of, of all of our generations, but especially our younger educators that are coming in. Um, but understanding how, how to do that in a way where you're not um, violating policy necessarily, yes. yeah. but you're also creating a place where yes is the, res- is the most common response instead of no. Right. Uh, I'm yeah. thinking of a, of a leader, and this is, this is so interesting, Tim, because I'm going to go back in history to probably 10 years ago, it may have been 15. I, I, I wish I could remember the exact date, but I, I remember a young leader and in an education institution, and I won't name this place because that would not be polite, but I remember this was when social media was just beginning to show up in, our, in, in the common use of our students. And so as a school leader, he created uh, a Facebook account for the school and it began to grow in popularity and it became a place where lots of traffic was happening and it became a really great conduit for information. And he was called in by the organizational leaders and reprimanded for yeah. creating a communication tool outside of the structure of which they had already organized. And yeah. I remember talking to him at the time and he was so frustrated. And of course yeah. he was compliant with, you know, with, uh, 
shutting it down and waiting until they figured out what they wanted to do. But I look at that now through the lens of like present day. And I'm like, that's the same exact story of those paint, uh, that paint uh, company of not recognizing the, the new power that exists in um, the societies that we're living in. Uh, I mentioned this book in a previous episode, Tim, and I'm going to recommend it to you too. It's called New Power by Jeremy Hymans and Henry Timms. And in this book, they talk about ex- the same dynamic that that we are so, especially depending on what generation you're from, but those of us from older generations, we tend to be addicted to old power structures. Yeah. That's the way we've done it. And so that's the way we should continue to do it. And we, yeah. and we tend to resist new power structures. And so what I appreciated about this book too, was just the importance of recognizing there are actually benefits from old power structures that we can still leverage and benefits from new power structures yes. that we can still yeah. leverage. But I want to stay on this idea, especially in the work that you do talking to those who lead others. What are some, what are some ideas that leaders should keep in mind when they're employing, and I'm just going to talk directly because I know you've led organizations for a long time. You've worked sure, with, yeah. I've been, I've been at your campus and I've seen the multi-generations that you've led. And so what, what suggestions, if you were sitting down to coffee with a leader who's just struggling with, with, I can't hold on to my employees, or I, I need, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm following policy. What kinds of suggestions would you give them on how to be flexible, but also maintain um, their, uh, the direction that they want to go? Well, I, uh, one of the ideas I put in the book is I talk about uh, Raymond Cottrell's uh, research. He's a British psychologist 50 years ago who unveiled how our brain morphs as we age. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first 40 years of our life, we enjoy mostly what he calls fluid intelligence. In our next 40 years, we enjoy mostly crystallized intelligence. Now we all have both, Mm. but we are stronger in our first 40 years in one kind, and then stronger in our next 40 years in the other. I think what's happening today is we have a very strong young workforce coming in with brand new ideas from fluid intelligence, and we're sticking to our gun, bless God, we're going, you know, and and it just doesn't work. So get this, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Will. In fluid intelligence, it's uh, strongest in adaptability, creativity, innovation, I love to pivot. I love to think of new ideas. Isn't that young school teachers? Of course it is. In crystallized intelligence, it's strongest in I clarify, I summarize, I I teach. And so, uh, by the way, some of the strongest evaluations in higher education go to older professors, not because their pedagogy is so innovative, but they just are good at summarizing a major concept. So what if a school could capitalize on those young team members, faculty and staff, and sit down and say, what what are you thinking? What do you see coming? What do you see coming down the road? And then we have the seasoned veterans that could say, okay, I think I can clarify that or summarize that, or maybe we can package that in a certain way that I know will work with our school district, but we need both. So that would be one, recognize how our brains are different, and we need to say thank you instead of get away. Uh, In fact, you know what I keep saying when I talk to school principals? I think very often we that are in power have a blockbuster video mindset and we're leading a Netflix generation of team members and they are not, they are just not buying the video cassettes anymore, you know? 
So um, I don't know if that's crazy or not, but I feel like that illustrates very vividly what's happened as we have a very split um, split population. Now, let me give one or two more ideas and you can volley back. One idea I talk about in the book is we really need to recognize what, what we're, you and I are talking about right now and stop stereotyping and instead ditch the niche. We are niched populations, as you well know, on social media is a good example. We have echo chambers where we're with people that talk like we do, think like we do, vote like we do, and we and then we talk about those other people, those other people over there. Uh, we need to ditch the niche. So I need to find someone from another generation and have coffee or sit down in the teacher's lounge and say, tell me your superpowers. In fact, my goal is sh both sides, share, share your superpowers with me. It's going to be different for a 60-year-old than it is for a 25-year-old. And both can add value. And you know when you swap stories, you're going to find common ground that you're both from Oklahoma or you're both have a grandma that lives in Wichita or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. But I love that ditch the niche. I'm going to look for people that are uncomfortable. I wouldn't go to them at the water cooler or the teacher's lounge because we're just so different. And instead, I'm going to, I'm going to go after you and find you and be vulnerable and, and, uh, and start the conversation. Um, that would be one big step. The, other, the only other thing I would say, well, that is, and it's a second cousin. You've heard me talk before about reverse mentoring. I think we need to do this. I think senior veterans on a school campus need to meet with a young rookie and they pour into the rookie. Here's how the culture works here at this school. But then they say, now, young rookie, teach me. How could we leverage, you know, social media perhaps for our school or how can I use Google, uh, you know, Google Docs for note taking in our class or whatever it is? I don't know. But I'm finding when we do that reverse mentoring, both sides mentor each other. I'm doing that right now with Andrew. You know, Andrew in our office, he's 30 years younger than me. I learn from him every time we meet and I teach him every time I meet and we laugh together and sometimes we cry together, but it's always a rich experience. So I'm waxing eloquent. I'm so sorry now, but that's that's what I think we need to do. And it's just different for us. Tim, there's so much I love about that. But one of the things that it reminds me of too, and I'm thinking about some of the principal friends that I work with, and I'm going to give a shout out to one of my friends in Palo Alto, California, Brent Klein, who, by the way, um, invited Timothy Alexander to be out at his campus too. So we have so many friends sure. in common, um, Ms. Dr. Elmore, but um, but. Brent Klein, uh, the principal of Palo Alto, was sharing with me recently that he spends the first couple of weeks of the school year interviewing students. Oh, wow. Interviewing students because he yeah. has a board of students where he selects yeah. students from each grade level to sit on a committee with him all year long for advisement. And I, I don't know if I have the number right. So, Brent, if you're listening and I get the number wrong, please forgive me. But I believe he said he had eight. 80 applicants this year wow. of, of students that he sat down one-on-one -on -one with to yeah. just find out their information, their perspectives, so that he could, among them, gather together who would eventually be the core group. But that whole process for him is just so enlightening. It's a yeah. huge investment to begin your school year out when you've got all kinds of other things going on, sitting down face-to-face -face with students. But Tim... Wow. Talk about reverse mentoring. Yes. You're gonna, how, you, how much yeah. better can you understand your school 
than by talking to your students and asking them for the feedback of what do they see and what do they need and what are their perspectives and where do they see the, the celebrations, but also what are the challenges that they're facing too. So you're, that's, that's so that. wise that reverse mentoring. And I'll tell you one other story um, because even in my own life, uh, you know, my oldest daughter, Emily has actually been uh, helping uh, for the past several months with some of the uh, editing and postings that I do through this podcast. And so it's been wonderful to finally have someone's help in that, in that regard. But also what's been wonderful is that reverse mentoring is when we sit down to have a conversation about the, the work, she'll, she'll offer ideas, suggestions, perspectives, that I have never thought of. And yeah. so you're right. There's just so much power when you take the opportunity to do that reverse mentoring, instead of being the one who's constantly giving others feedback, yeah. flipping the table and asking yeah. them for theirs. I love it. So as we wrap up this conversation, Tim, uh, I know I'm probably, I know we're speaking to listeners who, who spend their days with multi-generations and sometimes be, we can be swimming in a culture and not even be aware of the distinctives that exist in it. But any other ideas you have as we're wrapping up that it, leaders should keep in mind when they're, when they're wading into this pool, you've been, you've been swimming in this pool for a long time, but what are some other ideas that you would want to add in summary for those who are constantly swimming in this generational tide yeah. that we're in, um, but of, of, of just things to keep in mind and, and, and maybe a final challenge for listeners and, and, sure. and, and an encouragement, I want to encourage them to pick up the book so that they can get all of this context. Thank you. You're kind, Will. You know what's going through my mind as you ask that question? Somewhere in the, the book, I talk about um, arguably the greatest anthropologist of the 20th century, Margaret Mead. And um, she was the one who way back 50 years ago, before she passed away in the late 70s, was already seeing a new day coming and that I think we're experiencing right now. But she um, divided up human history into three stages, three eras, if you will. Uh, The first one was the post-figurative era where millenniums ago, all of the young people pretty much learned things post the adults, naturally, meaning the adults had been around longer. They knew all the stuff, all the customs, all the values of their culture, et cetera. And so they downloaded all the information to the young and the young were to perpetuate those customs all their life. Uh, Your father, mother picked your marriage partner, your father picked your job, your mother picked your job if you were the girl. And it just was perpetuated post-figurative. As we moved into the enlightenment and later the industrial revolution, so hundreds of years ago, we moved into what she called the prefigurative era. So prefigurative now said the emerging leader who was young and the established leader figured out things together. Now we were learning from each other. So, um, you know, for the first time you had a say in your marriage partner, you know, at that point, or a say in what your career might be. Um, Our nation was born during this co-figurative era. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Reason became king. Today, Margaret Mead was predicting way back 50 years ago, we're moving into a prefigurative society. And what she means by that is because of the rapid pace of change and the introduction of new technology, smart technology she was already seeing, that the young would figure things out before the old. And Will, that's happened to you and your daughter, me and my son and daughter, you know, they're teaching us. 
-hmm. So principles, here's what I'm saying to you. We need to be listening as much as talking. We need to be saying they'll have an intuition on what's coming down the pipe, probably 10 years ahead. Their, their weird today will be our norm tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I think we do best to say they're going to have a handle on where we're going. We can offer the sage advice from wisdom, but they're going to offer the timely intuition of the future. So we need timely and timeless. There's that term again, Will, that both of us love. Mm -hmm. We need timeless and we need timely. And if we mix the generations, we actually get both. Mm. The book is a new kind of diversity, making the different generations on your team a competitive advantage by Dr. Tim Elmore. Dr. Elmore, thank you so much for all your contributions. I know that at the beginning, I, I mentioned to Principal Matters listeners that you've been a frequent guest on this show. So if you want to go back to listeners and find other episodes, you can go to my website at williamdparker.com and just search for Tim Elmore. You're going to see other episodes where we have shared together. But Dr. Elmore, can you let listeners know how they can stay connected with you and your work? Absolutely. Yeah. So our um, nonprofit that partners with schools and does events and Happitudes curriculum is simply growingleaders.com, growingleaders.com. But Will, I want to offer something. We've created an assessment that's free of charge that allows a user to test their generational fluency. How fluent am I with Gen Z, with millennials, with Xers and boomers? So we call it, you'll love this, the GQ. It's testing your generational quotient. But um, if you listeners, if you'd like to take this free assessment, it's a 41 question assessment and you'll get a report back on how fluent you are with young and old. Um, it, you can simply go to newdiversitybook.com, newdiversitybook.com, and you can click on the assessment there and uh, take it. And I think you'll smile and laugh and it may, may even be fun to take it as a team with your faculty and staff, just because um, I think we need to laugh with each other and at ourselves along the way as we try to figure this thing out with multiple diverse generations on a school campus. Well, I cannot wait to check it out. Newdiversitybook.com. Go there, listeners, right now and access that free assessment. Use it with your staff. Use it with your student groups. Use it with your advisement committees. What a great opportunity to gather together with those that you're serving and to just have these discussions of ways we can better understand each other, ways we can better build bridges, especially in the in the crazy times that we live in now. Let's pull together instead of constantly thinking about how our differences uh, pull us apart. So Dr. Elmore, thank you so much for all your positive contributions to education and education leaders. And until next time, thanks for doing what matters and Principal Matters listeners, I'll see you next week. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.